Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Hello, everyone. Hey, hey. We are so excited. Welcome to episode one of our Pride series for Pride Month. Yes. Okay, is it still May? Yes, we know that, you know that, but you know what? As we told you at the end of our last episode, we needed to get a head start. We needed to make sure that we are doing this right, that we are able to speak to you in the best way possible. And so we were like, why stop it just soon? Let's let's start a little early. So we're doing this. We are so excited. We have an incredible series lined up. And I know that we say that every time we have a series, but this time we really, really mean it. Our series are pretty great. <laughs> Not gonna lie. This series we have been working on for weeks to prepare. And oh my gosh, I'm just so excited. We've put in more work and more effort into this than I think most of our other episodes and stuff, because we know how serious we need to take this. And so like, and it's not just us talking the entire time this time we with this series, we tried to get someone for nearly every single episode, because we needed to hear the voices of people who understand these topics better for us who are already a speaker for for the LGBTQ community for for allies and the like, we knew that we needed to do this right. So we reached out and were able to talk to a ton of incredible people who are willing to help us do that. Yeah. So like we've already shared, we are dedicating this the entire month of June to our LGBTQ plus siblings in and out of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we are spending time talking about topics that we feel are both relevant to the LGBTQ plus community and the single adult community. So welcome to our introductory episode of the Bride series. It's it's so incredible. I so, I, I just keep thinking about it and like we were getting so pumped up as the opportunities started coming our way when people, especially when the people we wanted to talk to started saying yes. We were basically jumping up and down for every single person because we're just, we're just so thrilled. We were so thrilled to talk with everyone and we cannot wait to share their voices with you. So this week we are excited to share an interview with an incredibly loving, kind voice and an advocate for change, Brother Richard Osler of the Listen, Learn and Love podcast. We were lucky enough to sit down and have a transcendent discussion with him about his book, his podcast, and his ministry as an advocate and an ally for the LGBTQ plus members of the church and people beyond the church. So without further ado, we'll turn the time over to our past selves for this interview. Enjoy! So today we have Brother Richard Osler, also known as Papa Osler, at least that's his username on Twitter, as our very special guest. Brother Osler stands out as a loving voice for the LGBTQ plus community within the LDS church. His experience started while serving as a YSA bishop, using these experiences to start an organization, Listen, Learn, and Love. His organization, along with a book and a podcast of the same name, serve as collective resources for the LGBTQ community and supporting families, individuals, and leaders. He continues to work in his organization and grow his podcast where guests share personal experiences about being a member of the LGBTQ plus community. There, they share incredible insights to help clarify preconceived notions so that people may be more understanding about proper terminology, supporting evidence, and how to become a better ally. 
So thank you so much, Brother Osler. We are so excited to have you with us today. We have been bursting with joy ever since you responded to us, and we are just thrilled to be doing this episode today. Well, thank you, Kaylee and Tracy, and you're doing great work um, to help us better understand our YSAs, support them, and um, I love the focus of your podcast and that you've done nearly 70 episodes. That's awesome. Thank you so much. We're so excited about this. We both have recently read your book and have been exploring your podcast as well. And we are so appreciative and grateful of everything that you do. Listeners, if you don't already listen to Brother Osler's podcast, Listen, Learn, and Love, we highly recommend it. And we suggest you tune in to listen immediately. He has great guests from the LGBTQ community, as well as other allies. And they all share wonderful stories about everything from the range of gender identity and everything in between for the LGBTQ community and share so much information. It's amazing. His speakers are amazing. Please make sure you tune in. It's incredible. And so we're so excited to dive in. We are going to be using our time with him, with you, Brother Osler, today to cover some of the basics of what you already do. And hopefully we can dive in a little deeper into a few particular areas, especially on how to be an ally to the community. So people often considered it enough to be an ally by accepting their specific friends and family, but you've really gone out of your way to do more. You've got your organization, you've got your podcast, you're doing so much. So we were really curious on what inspired you to step up like this. Well, I, as you mentioned earlier, was a bishop of the singles ward here in Salt Lake City, and I was over 50 at the time. And for the first time, I had priesthood responsibility for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And everything shifted for me as I listened to a couple gay men tell me their story. I basically came to the conclusion after listening to their story that um, straight people had for my entire life defined LGBTQ people for me. And Heavenly Father just prompted me to wipe my hard drive clean, to use a computer term, and start from scratch because I didn't know the amount of homophobia or transphobia, um, or said, in other words, just maybe innocent but incorrect ideas I'd picked up. And he just said, if you want to know my LGBTQ children, you need to go listen to them. And then you'll see them the way I see them. And that was the beginning of reprogramming my hard drive. And it was a credit to these two good men who are willing to be patient with me as I tried to understand who they are and their unique road as a Latter-day Saint. And towards the end of my assignment in 2016, I felt an impression to step in this space. Heavenly Father kind of said something like, there's a gap between our restored church that I believe in, sustain and support, and its ability to fully meet the needs of its LGBTQ members. And I need you to step in this gap, not as an activist to be critical of our leaders or campaign for doctrinal changes, but to bring more understanding. And the primary way I felt impressed to do that is just to amplify the voices of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and use the privilege that I have Privilege are things that I'm born with. My position is male um, with church assignments and use that to amplify the voices of LGBTQ. So the book you reference in the podcast, all this is a labor of love. There's no financial uh, money trail here. There's no sponsors or endorsers um, because that's how my heart changed. My heart did not change listening to straight people tell me about LGBTQ people. I had to listen to people in that community. And that was the beginning of where I stepped in the space. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like you sharing about 
wiping your hard drive, so to speak, of preconceived notions and the internalized transphobia and homophobia that we have that we don't really see or think that we have. It's just unconscious and it's in there is such a huge step into moving into this arena of allyship and just helping our LDS LGBTQ siblings feel accepted and feel loved in this space. And so I think that's beautiful what you're doing. We do have one quote that we wanted to share from your book, actually. You said, many of our LGBTQ members are carrying heavy burdens that cause them to cry out and weep. They are in pain, they feel alone, and they don't have answers. Are we reaching out to them in their times of need, or are we ignoring them? Are we addressing their pain with platitudes about the next life when everything will work out, or are we holding and validating their current pain? Are we, like the Savior, ministering to them according to what they most need to heal? So we felt like we needed to share that quote because we both had a huge light bulb moment as we opened our season of the year talking about bearing one another's burdens. And so as you have been in this arena, how have you seen a difference with the way that you're bearing burdens now from where you were bearing burdens previously before your time as a YSA bishop? I think it comes back, like you're saying, to our baptism covenants. When Alma extended um, that baptism invitation at the Waters of Mormon, he first talked about what I call the horizontal aspect of our baptism covenant. He actually talked about mourn, bear, and comfort first before he talked about commandment keeping. And I believe our baptism covenants are kind of a, a line that's horizontal, our relationship to others, and a line that's vertical our relationship to Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Parents, commandment keeping. And I know I do better when I do better horizontally. And when I kind of focus on lifting the burdens of others, then it becomes easier for me to have a better relationship with my Heavenly Parents and do better with commandment keeping. So I think our Heavenly Parents are really interested in how we treat each other. And I think that actually part of keeping the commandments is a means to be in a better position to be able to be and be able to help others. Specifically with LGBTQ people, I one of the things I've learned to try to do, as that quote references, sit with people in their pain and validate their pain. No one should have to prove their pain, even if I don't feel that pain. And I've recognized if it's church-generated pain from our culture or from somebody, something said that I, as a faithful Latter-day Saint, can validate their pain and still support and sustain our leaders. I don't need to sort of dismiss that pain to sort of um, support our leaders. I've learned that you can do both. And it's deeply healing to somebody to validate their pain. It can be sometimes the only thing they need to continue to stay in the church. It's just someone acknowledges how difficult um, their journey is or a past experience was. And that to me is part of mourning and burying comfort. And the doctrinal foundation is what Christ did. Christ, as you two know, was with everybody that had pain, and he just sat with them. Platitudes, I like that word. I didn't know what a platitude was until a BYU religion professor came on the podcast, Eric Huntsman. It's sort of when we dismiss somebody's pain by just simplifying it. And an example you use is pointing to the next life and say, well, everything will be fine in the next life. And if you're straight, you go on to your straight um, future and your marriage in this life and having a lifelong companion and sort of pointing you know, to the next life. And it helps you feel good because there's kind of an answer, but it dismisses the complexity of somebody's situation who doesn't have the opportunities that you do in this life. 
So I just think one of the things that we don't teach in the church very well, at least in my lifetime, is the ability to listen. I've never been in a training meeting where I was taught the principles of listening. It's a learned skill. Someone can't just say, I'm not a good listener. You can learn how to be a good listener. And it takes a real effort. So when someone's opening up about something, you could pivot and then talk about your situation, or you can stay focused on that person, ask open-ended follow-up questions, and really be present for them um, to make sure they're fully heard before you pivot away. And, and maybe most of the time it's best, if, especially if you're a parent or leader, to not pivot away, but just continue letting that story that's inside of somebody come out. So that's some thoughts on that very good question. I really like what you said. And I mean, I love everything that you do say, because you're absolutely correct. The church doesn't really teach us these soft values like listening. They expect us to already have this understanding, which like we already learned the basics of listening. We can hear things, but we have a hard time understanding things and learning how to really empathize, especially with that, which we don't really know. I really liked how in your book, you told the story about how when you met, um, met up with an old friend and learned that they were in a, um, a same gender marriage and you didn't know how to really communicate with them because you lacked the skills and the confidence on how to have a conversation with that sort of couple. And I really appreciated that because that's how I felt for a long time. I didn't know how to communicate and I realized that it was because I lacked some skills and some awareness that I didn't have that we hadn't learned within the church. And I think that's definitely an important skill. If we want to love people, we need to learn how to, how to listen and how to help them. I think that also happens to other people in general who do deal with internal homophobia and transphobia, whether or not they know that or understand that. When we don't have the knowledge for something, we're gonna have a harder time understanding it or accepting it. So in your experience, what do you say or do when people accuse the church of its disfavor or disinterest, disrespect, disregard to the LGBTQ community? It's a really good question. And I, what's one of the things I love about what you both are doing in your podcast is you're asking the questions that a lot of people want to talk about. And we need to learn to talk about these hard questions within the walls of our church, within the walls of a podcast, because people outside of our church will talk about this kind of stuff. But we need to learn how to talk about it um, within our families, within our faith communities. So this is a very good question. I try to listen to individuals. So within the LGBTQ world, some individuals have really hard feelings, disfavor, disinterest about the church. And I just honor how they feel. Um, I don't try to change how they feel. I try to sit with them in their story and understand why they've come to that conclusion. And there's also LGBTQ people in and out of the church that don't have disfavor for the church. So there's a lot of nuance. I probably thought in the past that everybody that left the church, straight or LGBTQ, was really angry at the church. And I've recognized that there's a range of emotions of people that have left the church and feelings. And so you know, just pinning a whole group of people, LGBTQ people, and having disfavor for the church isn't fair because there's a range of things. So I just sit with people. I, I just feel like I don't need to always defend the church. I won't participate in organizations that are whose active mission is to take down the church. I don't form community with groups whose that's their goal, and I don't have, you know become a part of those groups. But for individuals, if they 
you know, want to share with me, and I did this as a YSA bishop because two-thirds of our ward was not active, and at times the non-active YSAs would open up to me about how they felt, and that was sacred ground. Um, those were the treasured moments as a priesthood leader if people will open up and feel safe to you to share how they feel, because then you can talk about how they feel, and that may not change how they feel, but it may be able to bring the two of you together and find a way to navigate forwards. I've always felt that one of the principles of ministering is being a safe person so that people can open up and share how they feel. I've always felt that as a parent and as a bishop. Thank you. I love that. I know I can relate to the way that you've handled those sort of situations because in the singles ward that Kaylee and I were in, I was the Relief Society president for a couple of years. And a big thing that we tried to create in our Relief Society was an environment of honesty and sharing that no matter what happened or what you said in Relief Society, it wasn't going to be spread anywhere else. This was going to be like our sacred safe place for people to be honest and to share those concerns and those problems that they're having, whether it's because they're in the LGBTQ community or just because they're having faith crises on their own. We really wanted to encourage the conversation to keep moving forward. And I think I love that culture, Tracy, that you created. And I think there's a range of culture from the one you created to what I call, and I don't want to be cynical here, the best answer club. Some Relief Societies, Elders, Quorums, and Sunday Schools that sort of the 10% that usually have the best answer kind of shine, and everybody else, they just don't say much. And if they have a question, they don't usually feel comfortable opening up because it, the culture is, this is the best answer club, and um, we're not really being vulnerable and honest. We're just kind of, it's not a contest, but the people that shine are the people that have the best answers. So I think we need to still have good answers to questions, but we need to create the culture you're creating, the safe place where people can ask honest questions and share honest feelings. Exactly. And it's challenging to get to that point too, because <laughs> you have to put in a lot of work of saying like, all right, like everything that we used to be like in the past, like with the past Relief Society president or the past Bishop Rick or whatever it was that was leading you, that's gone. We're not doing that anymore. This is what we're doing. And I'm going to start by sharing. And I'm going to share where I came from. Once we start putting in that effort, that's when we can start to see those kind of changes happen in our quorums. And it's beautiful to see those changes happen. Going kind of with that, we have another question and point came from your book. You addressed concerns about the November 2015 church policy about denying baptisms to children of LGBTQ parents. And you addressed your concerns and shared those concerns with your stake president, who said that he was giving you permission to have a fallen domino or two as you made your way forward as a faithful member of the church. We have a lot of listeners and friends of the podcast who struggle with feeling like they need to keep all of their dominoes up in order to progress forward on this journey of discipleship with Jesus Christ. So how would you explain this for them and encourage them in their journey forward as a member of the church? I'm glad you brought this up. And I felt impressed to be honest and vulnerable in the book. Um, I had what I call a mini faith crisis while serving as a YSA bishop. And I've spoken about that publicly in my stake and in podcasts. And I've, I look at it as actually a positive thing and falling forward in my testimony of the church. I don't look at it as a setback. I actually 
feel like it was part of my journey to grow and develop a more fundamental testimony based on the restored doctrine and have a nuance to be able to handle things that I'm uncomfortable with, either current issues or prior issues. So I'm really grateful the whole thing happened. I maybe lucked out that it happened while I was a YSA bishop because I knew the narrative that sometimes we pin on people that are in a faith crisis didn't apply because I I knew I was reading my scriptures. I knew I was serving. I had the opportunity to baptize three young men. First time I stepped in the waters of baptism, it's my own mission. So I'd I knew that the narrative I'd been heard about people like me didn't apply, and that gave me great empathy for others in a full-blown faith crisis or a mini-faith crisis. Um, but I did open up to my local stake president. Um, his name's in the book, David Sturt, a close friend, and it, I call it a ministering home run is what I put in the book, because he didn't um, give me a spiritual checklist of things for me to feel good about the policy statements. He just gave me permission to be uncomfortable about them. And he gave me permission to have a fallen domino. And if if your listeners think of dominoes, one falls, they jet, they're all lined up. So it's this big string of dominoes. Um, but my domino, that domino fell. I didn't ever get a testimony of the policy statements. But the next domino it hit was my belief in the beautiful restored doctrine of heavenly parents and that I can have a personal relationship with them. And that that is unique to our church and came through the prophet Joseph Smith. And that domino has really deep roots and is fundamental to my testimony. So it kept me in as a fully believing member. Let I don't invite people to have fallen dominoes, but if people open up about their fallen dominoes, I've learned to just give them permission to have fallen dominoes and not sort of think that my job as a priesthood leader, as a parent, is to fix their fallen dominoes. The policy statements were reversed. And so that fallen domino, you know, sort of went away because we changed our policy. And I don't want to infer that I was right or that everybody's fallen dominoes will someday be reversed. Patrick Mason, his book Planted, talks about, you know, there's kind of two types of fallen dominoes, historical ones, polygamy, blacks in the priesthood, you know, just things that are uncomfortable for a lot of faithful Latter-day Saints, and then current issues like how we treat women, LGBTQ, um, a dominant political conservatism is in a lot of the church. And that can cause people to be squeezed out as Patrick Mason frames it up. And so I think there's different spiritual gifts as outlined in DNC. Some are given to know and some are given to believe. And so I just think we need to meet people where they are and accept where they are. And if if one of your listeners is saying, you know, I don't have an I know the church is true with every fiber of my bring testimony, I would say that's okay. In fact, your goal may never to be to get there and just be at peace with where you are and just make your way forward and don't feel like you're second class or don't feel like you're less faithful or don't feel it's a spiritual weakness. This is just who you are. And you probably have wonderful other gifts that are helping to bear and mourn and comfort other people. I've sort of owned who I am. I've learned that I'm not a, a big, long kneeling prayer. I say a kneeling prayer every morning, and then I go on an hour, 20-minute walk, and that's really my prayer. Um, and I'm listening to music that's not even church music in the background, and that's how I talk to God. And it's sort of like it starts with that short kneeling prayer, but 95% of my inspiration comes on that walk. And so I use that as an example, just that everybody needs to find their own way to pray and to just have their testimony. And if there's things you're uncomfortable with, that's okay. 
Um, I've learned to validate that the church has made mistakes in the past. Um, I think it's okay to look at that. And um, our history with blacks, some would say that was God's plan, that blacks would never have the priesthood until 1978. But other faithful Latter-day Saints feel that was never God's plan. My point in saying that is let's don't make someone feel more or less faithful um, on how they feel about that. There are faithful Latter-day Saints who feel our leaders, for whatever reason, missed on that point. And blacks should have continued to have the priesthood after the prophet Joseph Smith. And that may be a minority position in our church, but there are faithful Latter-day Saints that feel that way. And if they open up in a core meeting and whatever vocabulary they lose to their feelings about a prophet that may have missed on something, um, let's don't call them unfaithful. Let's don't call them to repentance. Let's just acknowledge that this courage it has to continue to fully participate in the church if they're deeply uncomfortable about something in our history. The reason we want to do that is because the goal is to connect people with our beautiful restored doctrine. That is where the rubber meets the road. I mentioned one of that being heavenly parents, but it's the atonement of Jesus Christ and the power of the atonement. It's the plan of salvation that we live before, we're here for a purpose, and there's this beautiful life after. That's the healing nature of the atonement we want to connect people with. The culture sometimes can cause people, as you two know, and your podcast is helping, cause people to step away and not receive the blessings of our beautiful restored doctrine because the culture makes it difficult for them. So that's just some thoughts using an example of blacks in the priesthood. I am really feeling this weird. I just have to mention this because while you were talking, Brother Osler, I had three questions come to mind and you proceeded to answer every single one of them. Awesome. So, so great. So thank you. All right. So I want to steer the conversation in a slightly, well, not really different angle, but like, let's bring in another point because we just had a general conference last month. And so we actually did get some recognition um, in general conference about how the largest group in the church right now are unmarried adults, such as ourselves, at least Tracy and me, I believe you're happily married. So, True. Um, <laughs> and you pointed out in your book as well, how the LGBTQ plus community is kind of like the older unmarried women within the church, how we're not really in relationships and we often feel alone because it doesn't always feel like there's a place for us, especially in a church that really enforces and preaches marriage and between a man and a woman. So in your own opinion, do you think that there are enough resources to help everyone feel comfortable and happy in their roles in the church? And if there are still some gaps, what do you think we can do to fill some of these gaps? I um, loved Elder Ballard's talk and Elder Gong's talk. Elder Ballard in particular, President Ballard talked about belonging. I've never heard an apostle or a leader of our church use the word belonging. Brene Brown, a social scientist, has taught me about that word as I've read um, the need to belong. And I think the church is understanding that um, with half the adult population not being married, there's a lot of people that just don't feel they, they belong um, and they don't feel welcome and they don't feel whole. I always felt with the women, the unmarried women in our ward, that I wanted to create a feeling that they should feel complete now they were complete before they were married and that they shouldn't um, just put their life on hold to be married. Um, my wife used to go to Relief Society and say, it's better to wish you were married and single than wish you were single and married. If I said that right, I think you got the spirit of it. I just think that we need to learn to create a culture that we're complete unmarried. 
and that we are needed unmarried and we can serve in any calling unmarried. There's a number of policy changes. I was a temple worker and uh, men at the age of 29 or 30, if they were not married, they could no longer be ordinance workers and that has changed. Divorced people could not serve as temple workers. That has changed. These were never doctrine. These were just kind of cultural things that crept in. And I think the church is looking at the message that sends to single people that they're sort of second-class citizens. And I hope that more and more single people serve in all areas of the church. There's nothing doctrinal that says a bishop needs to be married to be a bishop. Could it be possible that someday an unmarried man would be a bishop? Now, when I get into the possibilities and people say, what do you think the future is of the church for LGBTQ or any of these issues, um, I just sort of say, I don't know Heavenly Father's will, and I'm not a leader of the church, so I don't have standing to answer these questions. But I think it's okay for individual members to hope or to feel that something might need to change. As long as they don't form a community or an organization or go march and sort of advocate for change. You know, it's a, re- a church that's continually being restored. Now, because we've sort of put the stake in the ground with Elder Ballard's talk, the responsibility is on us in YSA wards and married wards to create a feeling of belonging for single people and that they're needed. And if they're LGBTQ, that is a whole set of differences versus straight unmarried people. Very unique road we need to talk about, and they need to be put to work. You know, we've never had a general conference talk from an openly LGBTQ person. So if you're an 18-year-old woman or man who's gay or lesbian, you're wondering if there's a place for people like you in the church, because there's nobody sort of further down the road being put to work. And, And so I think that's creating a feeling of belonging. Brene Brown says, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So if you're LGBTQ, you know, you could spend your lifetime trying to be straight, especially in a church that's sort of built for straight couples. And I don't be critical of that. It's the great strength of our church. But I think we're maturing enough, and especially with your age group, who's really helping us get to the finish line on a number of these issues, we're mature enough to say, okay, how does this work for somebody who's gay? And how can they fully participate in the church? And how do we create a feeling of belonging for them? And so we just have a lot of work to there. I sometimes talk about the church's relationship with its LGBTQ members is like a 40-chapter book. And we just have more chapters to write. I don't know what chapter we're in, but we're not at the finish line. Um, Some people say, what's the finish line? I go, well, when a gay member of the church is having the same experience as a straight member of the church or a mother learning her 13-year-old son or daughter is gay is not full of fear in this life or the next life for that kid. And I think we all are mature enough in the church to recognize, gee, it does feel like we have more work to do. Could our doctrine change? Yeah, it could. Um, Could our policies change? Yeah. I don't think it's unfaithful to think our doctrine can change. I just don't campaign that it will change. I don't know Heavenly Father's will. I'm not a leader of the church. I'm not advocating for doctrinal changes, Our doctrine has changed in the past, and our doctrine may change on some issues in the future. And I don't think it's unfaithful to sort of privately feel that some doctrine might change or even open up to a close friend about something that might you feel might change. Often how we handle those conversations can be really helpful or really difficult for people. So that's kind of a long answer. You get me going on 
uh, complicated topics, but that's the way I kind of navigate complicated topics with the goal to find a way for everybody to belong. Elder Cook gave a great talk about unity and diversity. Unity and sameness is the low bar. If I'm just unified in everybody that has the same political view, the same age, the same socioeconomic, the same race, that's the low bar. The high bar is to be unified in diversity. And that's really what our church is trying to do right now. Our leaders are trying to do political diversity, socioeconomic, uh, married, unmarried, um, sexual minorities and gender minorities. And one of the great ways to do that is what you too are doing with your podcast, because you bring stories of people. And that's what changed my heart and helps change other people's heart. Thank you so much for that beautiful answer. Honestly, when you were talking about the focus needs to be shifting towards belonging, my mind immediately went to my background kind of in HR of inclusion or equity is inviting someone to a dance and then belonging is asking someone to dance. I feel like we are on that track within the church. Like we figured out like we need to be inviting everyone, but it's not enough to invite. It's we need to go that next step and we need to ask someone to dance or in the case of the church, we need to ask them to participate. We need to ask them to be our friends and we need to reach out in love to all of them. And so that was a beautiful comment that you just shared. Thank you so much for that. Because we know that we're running low on time, we want to be respectful of your time. We want to just ask one last question for allies within the single adult ward specifically, what are some actions that you think we can take to better be those allies, whether it's in a leadership position or just as a regular member within a ward? What can we do more to be allies towards our LGBTQ siblings? Well, a couple thoughts. I think I invite you to, if you need to, to do what I do, and that's kind of wipe your hard drive clean Um, I just turned 60 and I'm still wiping my hard drive clean. I call it the trap of unearned opinions. I developed a lot of opinions about a lot of different groups of people in my lifetime, women, people of different races, undocumented workers. And it's better to not develop opinions about a group of people until you meet with people in that group. I think that's what Christ tried to teach in his ministry. And so for LGBTQ people, I think you have to hear their stories. And some of their stories are heartbreaking. And there's so much pain in that community, even among those that fully participate in the church. They often are anxious as they go to church on Saturday and Sunday morning for for worry they'll hear people comments about people like them. Let's make sure that we just assume that there are LGBTQ people within every conversation um, in our families, in our congregations. We don't need to teach our doctrine on the backs of LGBTQ people. We don't need a villain. We don't need to call out LGBTQ people as a sign of the last days. A sign of the last days, in my opinion, is is failure to minister to LGBTQ people and hear their stories. I believe part of the gathering of Israel is to help our LGBTQ members feel like they belong. How can we gather Israel if we can't gather our own people that are LGBTQ? About four to six percent of the U.S. population identifies as LGBTQ. If we assume that's true of the whole church of 16 million, that means 780,000 of our own people identify as LGBTQ. Um, That would be multiple people in every congregation, many that are closeted, that are listening to everything people are saying about people like them. They need to hear kind things about people like them. And we do that by hearing their stories. We do it by quoting Elder Ballard, who said, we need to listen to and understand what our LGBTQ members are feeling and experiencing. 
we need to do better than we have in the past to continue with this quote so that all feel they have a spiritual home. I'd like to speak to LGBTQ people that are listening. It's not really part of your question, but I love you. You are some of my heroes as I've sat with you and you've shared your stories. You have taught me the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways that I've never understood it. You've taught me empathy, compassion, long-suffering. You've taught me how the atonement heals broken hearts because some of your hearts have been broken by your own faith community at times with the things we've said. And I'm still repenting for the things I've said and done. And that's partly one of the reasons I'm in this space is to atone. I think you're created the way your heavenly parents intended you to be created. I don't think you're a mistake. I don't think they're capable of being surprised. And I don't think they're capable of making mistakes. So I think you, um, just like straight people, need to look in the mirror and feel that you're created like you're supposed to be. And if you believe that, then I think it's better, easier for you to have a relationship with your heavenly parents because you don't feel like you're a mistake. And you don't feel like this part of you that may feel shame about is somehow broken because I don't think that part of you is broken. Some that I meet with that get to the point where they've accepted this self about actually believe this is part of their mortal mission to be gay or lesbian or trans. They look at it as part of their beautiful life mission. And I think our heavenly parents are pleased when we all look in the mirror and feel that way about ourselves. No one should feel they're broken. No one should feel their mistake. No one should feel they're lesser. I think that's Satan's ability to separate you from your heavenly parents and the love. Um, these are the last days, but I don't believe Satan has deceived people into being LGBTQ. Rather, he's keeping us from fully loving and supporting and hearing their stories and creating a feeling of belonging. Uh, Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ, and he talks about every part of the body of Christ is needed. The arms, the hands, the eyes, and I'm paraphrasing for your listeners, we can't look at one part of the body of Christ and say it's more worthy or less worthy. So I've been guilty of that, looking at LGBTQ people, second-class Latter-day Saints, um, looking at them and wondering first, are they acting on it? Or are they keeping the commandments? And I've trained my mind not to do that and just see them as full, equal human beings worthy of my love and support. But more importantly, recognizing they're walking a different road, a more difficult road because of something they can't control. Um, they didn't choose to be gay. They can't unchoose this. That's what the church teaches. Some would say, well, won't the atonement of Jesus Christ make someone straight? And my answer to that, after listening to LGBTQ people, it's like me having, I have blue eyes. I can't use the atonement of Jesus Christ to change my eye color or my gray hair color. But the atonement of Jesus Christ can heal broken heart and give us hope. And um, there's somehow Christ descended below all things. And he understand each of our pain and each of our brokenness. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about the wounding that comes to mortality that we all experience and the power of the atonement. But Satan wants to keep us in that power of the atonement. So he wants to create shame about who we are and feel that we're unworthy of the atonement, we're unworthy of heavenly parents' love. I believe our worth is set, that nothing we can do can take us outside of our heavenly parents' love. Yeah, they still want us to keep the commandments, and there's still blessings in keeping the commandments, but they love us unconditionally. And Satan wants us to separate he really wins if he can separate us from our heavenly parents' love and the, and the feeding the atonement applies to us. So that's kind of a long answer to your question. But if there's LGBTQ people listening, I thought my job was to help you. I thought I was a good Samaritan, but you have saved me and you have broken my heart in a way that no one else could in a positive way. And, and I'm a better person, a better disciple of Christ because of you. Now, I don't want to say that LGBTQ will just exist for straight people and to make us have better hearts. 
we need you in our congregations to help us learn the doctrine of Christ and be able to learn inclusion and and kindness and love and how to come together as the same human family. We need you to teach us that because you have helped taught me that. And, And anyway, those are some thoughts, Kaylee and Tracy. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. We, we really can't thank you enough so much for all that you do with your organization, with your podcast, for talking to us today. You flood social media and the world with your love and kindness and your wonderful teachings. We cannot thank you enough for all that you've done. And we really hope that everyone who has been able to listen today has been able to feel the love that we all have for you, that the Lord has for you. Brother Osler is absolutely correct. You are made the way you're meant to be made and you are meant to be loved in that way as well. So thank you again so much, Brother Osler, for joining us today. Thank you, Kaylee and Tracy. Thank you. All right. That was our interview with the incredible Brother Osler. Honestly, we we finished that interview and we were pretty much in awe over what happened. And part of me is still very much feeling that way because he had so much to say and he answered every question we had and more as they came up. He shared some really important principles and stories that we need to better understand for ourselves so that we can take care of ourselves in the best way possible and take care of those around us. Yeah. You reached out to him on Twitter to ask him for this interview. It felt like a shot in the dark. Yeah. The two of us started freaking out when he said yes. And then I didn't think he'd even respond. (laughs) And then in the like weeks before we started recording for him, he was so kind and he was so like uplifting and helpful towards us and just like so gracious and supportive. We can say he fully embodies what a disciple of Jesus Christ should be and is someone that you should really pay attention to in regards to learning how to support, uplift, and love the members of the LGBTQ community. If you haven't heard of his book or his podcast, I know we mentioned it in the interview with him. Um, We just want to highlight that again, his book and his podcast are the same name. They are Listen, Learn, and Love. You can buy his book on Amazon. It's fantastic. We both read it. It is so enlightening. You will cry, Yeah, but you will also feel better afterward. Yeah. And his podcast is very similar. It's also very educational. Everyone that he interviews teaches you something new, whether it's about the LGBTQ community or something new about the gospel. And it is so incredible. It is powerful. So make sure you check out his stuff. Seriously, you need to. We we loved it. We love talking with him. And stay tuned for next week, I guess. <laughs> yes, stay tuned for next week. Next week, we have a really amazing, amazing amazing guest another (laughs) one i mean not that this one wasn't amazing too but like you'll hear how the two of us are like practically cheering in this next episode so please listen next week it's only gonna get better from here guys it's gonna be great you guys all right so thank you for listening stay tuned for next week we love you take care of yourselves have a great week Bye. bye